Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we continue our study of the gospel and we're going to encounter an essential truth that is too often distorted or perverted in many gospel presentations today. If hope is to be found in the good news of Jesus Christ, we must make certain that we get the essentials correct. And that essential truth for today is the subject of grace. Thanks for joining us as we look at both what grace is and what it isn't in studying the good news and the characteristics of the gospel of grace. Imagine you were to go to the doctor and the doctor says, we got to run some tests. And they, they put you through the ringer. They got blood tests. You got things poking you all over the place. And eventually going to radiology, they get the picture back. And here's the diagnosis. There's something wrong with your heart. Uh, something, in fact, that can't be fixed uh, with medicine. You are going to need a heart transplant. You are going to need to take that which is broken, for it is incapable of being fixed, and it's going to be need, needed to be replaced with a new heart. Imagine if that doctor had you in the office, and there, knowing that information, having all of the reports and the charts in front of him, turned to you and said, Man, I just love you. You're awesome. Have a good day. I love you. I, I, I just, I love you so much. You're so creative. You're just awesome. Hope you have a great day. What if the doctor said that? Or, or let, me, let me offer another side of the spectrum. Let's say there in the office, the doctor has the chart, same diagnosis, you need a heart transplant, and he says to you, wow, wow, we got, we, you have a huge problem. In fact, uh, you need a heart transplant um, here's the scalpel. Here's all the surgical equipment. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And, uh, and you need to, you really need to get to work. You got to dig in there. I mean, I can point out what to do, but you're going to have some work ahead of you. It's going to be tough to cut out your own heart and put a new one in. I don't even know where you're going to find a new one, but I'll pray for you. Um, we are in a series right now studying the gospel. The, the title of the series is The Good News because that's what gospel means. It means it is good news. Uh, we, we have really, I feel like we've really made some good ground over the past couple of weeks for helping us understand exactly, forensically, what is the message of the gospel. Uh, as a point of review, it's that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures and was buried. And Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to many. That, that's true whether you believe it or not. That is the gospel. And then the sharing of the gospel incorporates your witness to that truth. So th those are the two halves. We've been through that. We're going to continue to look at that. But what we're going to look at this morning is a non-negotiable non component of the gospel message. And it is grace. You know what, if, I, if you had to give me, like, pick one word in the whole Bible, just you get one word, and that's all you get for all your life, you only get one word. Do you know what word I would pick? I would pick grace. This is a beautiful word, but here's the problem. You and I live in a world where people have rejected the gospel and where people have suppressed the truth because of their wickedness. And in doing so, this has worked its way into the church, 
The, the distortion of the gospel has perverted its way into the message even that Christians share. And so I found as I'm preparing for us to look at this non-negotiable essential component of the gospel, I really am going to have a hard time explaining to you just exactly what grace is. I need to, I need to tell you what it's not. Everybody, everybody with me so far? You understand what I'm saying? I need to have us look at so much preaching that is found today both on the television and many people who have gathered for them preachers who will preach what their itching ears want to hear. And I need to very clearly describe to you what grace isn't before we can talk about what it is. Uh, on, on one side of the spectrum, uh, the doctor who says, you need a heart transplant, says, you're just so great, I love you. Like That has become a way that, that has been depicted for evangelism. That really, when it comes to sharing the gospel, all I've got to tell you about is God's love. God loves you so much. He's got a great plan for your life. Like a, like a heavenly father, he just loves you so much. Uh, that is a half of the message that leaves you completely deficient to truly understand God's picture of how he feels about you. Because God hates sin. He hates it. I, I can think in my own life, as I look to seeing and identifying sin in my children's lives, as it comes out in very subtle ways, just little white lies, just little changes here, just not telling the whole truth. Anytime I see that, it grieves me. And do you know what? I love my children, but I hate sin. And because I love them, I refuse to let sin just have its way in their life because I know what it will do. I know where sin leads evil desires coming from within because of our nature left unchecked give birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death and so if i truly love my children i have to point out sin um in your sermon notes you will see that before we even get to our passage for today i have a few necessary steps in our understanding of the gospel the first one says the gospel of god's love must begin with our sin the gospel of God's love, hear me now, if you want to tell somebody God loves you, you will fail in communicating that if you don't address sin. It must begin with sin. In fact, we heard, uh, Gail read it out of Ephesians chapter 2, the gospel message of us being saved by, what? What's the name of our church? Saved by, yeah, the message of being saved by grace begins in verse 1 saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So look, before I get to the message of God's love and grace, I have to start with sin. I have to begin with it. And for the doctor who says, oh, or for the evangelist who says, God just loves you, you're awesome. Uh, what they're doing is they are removing the agent that God gave his people to understand sin. Donna mentioned it this morning in the children's message. It's the law. It's God's measure of perfection. It's found in the Ten Commandments. The whole reason for the law given is that it would open your eyes, making sin understood as sin. Come on, you guys. You, you, can't, you can't obey the law. Anybody who tries to live by the law has to obey all of the law. How's that working out for you? Anybody who tries to be saved or formed righteous according to law will find that they fail. For no one, the Bible says, is justified according to keeping the law. It has to come from somewhere else. So what's the purpose of the law? It shows us to be what? Men and women, what are we? We're sinners. That is what we are. And so the message of God's love must begin 
with our sin. That's where it begins. Number two, the reality of sin then cannot be erased by our works. It can't be erased by our works. Uh, Romans 3.20. I'm going to be turning to a couple of passages here. I need to uh, look up at my notes here. Here we go. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So this is the doctor who says, Well, there's the scalpel. Get busy. You got to do it. You got to do it. Now, can you give yourself a heart transplant? What do you think, guys? How's that going to work? You, you're, you'll get halfway there. I bet you get halfway there. You're going to have trouble once it comes time to put the new one in, though. So um, your effort and my effort to obey God in our strength will always fall short. It will always fall short. By the way, this is, this is the entirety of the paradigm for why Jesus came. The good news of his love addresses sin. Sin can't be erased by works. Therefore, here we go, last part, God's love is extended to us, not by works, but by grace. That is what we need to examine this morning. And the, and the reason, the scope of our examination of it is coming in our understanding of the presentation of the gospel. The two Ditches on either side of the road of God's justification are on one hand diluting grace so that, yeah, you're fine. God loves you, bro. God loves you, man. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge. I'm not like one of those Bible thumpers. I just think God loves everybody. Listen, that person needs to be quiet. They're getting it wrong. In fact, let, let me show you just a couple of verses here. Look with me into uh, Romans 16. <clears throat> Very end of the book of Romans it's going to feel a little bit like Bible study, so let me hear some pages flipping here. I'm, I'm looking around, make sure we're getting there together. Romans chapter 16, Paul's finishing his letter in verse 17 and 18. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such, watch this now, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. This is the first ditch that we fall into when we distort grace, when it's, we make it into something it's not. We make it into a, God loves you, bro, and, and nothing wrong with you. Do you know what that is? That's kind of smooth talk. That's a little bit of flattery. Now, do you want to hear that you're a sinner? Yeah, I, nobody, if you're honest with me, nobody likes to hear that. I, I uh, even this past week, had to have somebody tell me, uh, I think there was something you did that wasn't right, and h- how do you think I took it? I had to think about that. I was like, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. I, 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 I don't want to be told I'm wrong. I, I don't want to be told that there's something off in my life. Nobody does. And so rather than offend, <laughs> uh, look at our world today. Oh boy, that offended, that offended me what you said. That, that is the world that we live in. And so rather than run the risk of oh, daring to offend somebody, we've lost the center of the gospel. Because grace cannot be diluted into a God loves you, bro, just do whatever you want. Because you will fail at delivering the message of the good news. You, you lost it. 
it's like it's like taking it's like taking a, a bit of a bit of medicine. Uh, Lauren Lauren Poza makes fire water. I probably I don't even know if I should talk about. It. It's, a, it's an illustration that's coming to my mind. Fire water here is like fire cider. I feel like I'm talking about whiskey all of a sudden. I feel like I'm going off the track a little bit here, guys. Fire cider is it's it's actually has very good health benefits. It'll it'll help you uh, kill if you think you're getting cold or anything. Anyways, if you were to take that fire cider and you're only supposed to have like a teaspoon of it i'm looking at penny right now tablespoon of it right and it it wakes it wakes you up right your eyes are open um but if you took it and you diluted it into a 55 gallon drum of water like if you diluted that whole thing is it going to work is it going to have the effect that it's supposed to have it's not and that's exactly what happens on this side of the ditch that people have diluted the message of the gospel because they're, I'm afraid to offend you. I mean, I don't want to offend you. I mean, this, I'm afraid, I don't want to offend you, right? No, we just live in a world of tolerance that what you've done is you've diluted the whole thing. It's not going to work. We have to address sin if we're going to understand good news. Because what does good news imply? That there's some bad news. And the bad news is your sin will lead you to death. But here's good news. God wants to free and redeem you from your sin so that's this side of the ditch the opposite side of the ditch is works which is not grace and there are many churches who are saying well you just need to do this one thing and then you'll be in a relationship with god you just need to pray a prayer in a certain way or you need to do so many of a certain kind of prayer in a certain way or pray to a specific type of a saint in a specific type of a way at a specific number of times i know i'm dancing around the topic here but y'all understand what i'm saying that this type of teaching is a unraveling of grace for if it depends on you at all guess what it's not come on you got track with me if it depends on you what can't you call it it's not grace god does not get you 99 percent of the way and then you just gotta ugh, just get over to the line just put a little bit of effort in it's either grace or it's not it's works and so these are the ditches are everybody tracking with me? Am I clear with you this morning? The two ways in which grace needs to be no longer defined is that which is diluted down such that sin is not existent or that which requires something of your merit or effort such that God would be pleased with you. Neither one of those are grace. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want us to look at what grace actually is. And this message will be offensive. And that's okay. Because wherever a message causes, if it's from God's word, wherever it causes sorrow or woundedness in you, if it's godly, it will produce repentance. And so wherever this hits you today, my prayer is that the Spirit will be the one who applies this to your life. Because I don't want to hurt anybody either, unless that hurt leads you to Jesus. Amen? Are you guys with me on that? So we're going to be in the book of Titus. And as quick as I can, and I, I actually really feel like I'm going to move faster than I normally would because uh, there's really, uh, I got six main observations here, but three of them I need to spend time on. So I, I'm going to work through the six probably a little quickly and then just land on three of them a little bit heavier. Uh, Titus chapter three, uh, a beautiful passage of the gospel uh, Paul delivering to Titus, this is the message that you need to remind the church of. Here we go, Titus 3, starting in verse 3. Paul says, At one time, we too were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, there is a three-hour sermon in there. I just need to tell you that. There is. This is awesome. It's packed with theology. Uh, uh, I want to make sure that you get time to study this on your own because you will see more here than I'm able to give you today. I'm going to try to strip away a lot of the extra stuff that's that's as valuable as what I'm sharing, but I want us to look at it in terms of characteristics of grace. That's what I want us to see from this. Uh, Verse 7 is what's called a hina clause in Greek. It answers the question, why? Your Bible might start with the phrase, so that, or for, or therefore. And so the summary phrase in verse 7 is, so that, having been justified by his grace. Here's what that means. Everything Paul's talked about is defining characteristics of grace. Now, even before I get to my first, my first one I have in your notes, well, take, take a look with me, verse 3. How did he start? Is this a God loves you, bro? Is that is that what this is? Verse 3. Look in your Bibles with me. At one time we too were... You're awesome, man. You're awesome. God loves you, man. Is that, is that what this is? No. This is, you were foolish. Disobedient, deceived. Now watch this part. Enslaved. You know what that means? You're a slave, he says. That's what we were. We were slaves. Now... When I think of slavery, I usually think that it's connected to something that's like vile and evil, right? Look at the things that he identifies you being enslaved to. Passions and pleasures. That, that ought to be just food for thought. I'm going to leave you that with homework to think through the way in which things that you and I love actually have a threat to enslave us. So I'm just going to... And I mean, I mean worldly things here, not, not the things of God. So just a little bit of... Uh, homework for you to think through. First blank is this. It's the when. Uh, Grace is the action of God. When does grace come? When is grace something that's available? It's available to you in the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because it is the action of God. It is not an action that we produce. It is the action that He does unprompted and undeserved. Amen. Grace is unprompted and it is undeserved. The Bible tells us that God showed his love to us in this. While we were enemies with God, he displayed his love to us. Now, how much does an enemy deserve love? They Enemies don't deserve love. Enemies deserve what enemies get, right? But that is what you were with God. So already, if we're going to get the gospel correct, you don't get to say, God loves you, bro, because you're an enemy with God. Your sin makes you in opposition to His holiness and righteousness. 
Here's the idea. God would love to have you with him because he made you and crafted you for his glory, but you're enslaved with sin and passions and pleasures. And you know what those do? Those lead you on separate paths. God wants to go this way, but you want to go that way. His solution in giving his son for our sins was given to you when it was undeserved and when it was unprompted. So the first here is the action happens with God in the giving of Jesus. Secondly, is where do we look to find uh, satisfaction? Uh, where does God look? I mean, if, if God's going to solve this thing, what, what's he got to examine? Look with me back into the text. It says in verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, verse 5, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Grace does not depend on what you can do. Can I say that again? Everybody ready? Grace does not depend on what you can do. There's a friend of mine in the church that I worked in in Texas. Uh, he was in our small group, Emily and I's small group. And I was talking with a mutual friend the other day, and he said, in, in talking with him, he said this, the thing that keeps me up at night is not the stock market. The thing that I lose sleep over is not the idea that I might catch coronavirus. You, you know what he said? The thing that he loses sleep over is if I've done enough to make God happy. Have you ever felt that way? Boy, I, I just wonder, if God were to come and were to judge the world and look at me, uh, I mean, I went to church, or I, I tried to go to church, and uh, you know, I, you know, kids were sick, or a uh, car broke down, or, you know, I meant to, gave my time. Is that what you go to? What is it you turn to when you envision God's wrath and His anger and whether or not He's pleased with you? Do you reach down into the bucket of your works? Because what did the Bible say? He saved us not because of the things we do. That's not why he saved you. He saves you because of his mercy. And so grace does not depend on what we can do. God does not look for you to produce the merit so that he will save you. You are bankrupt. I mean, I mean you're not even zero. You're in debt. You, you, you have no funds to draw from in order to pay him back. He does it not because you're able. He does it according to his mercy. Number three, this is the what. Grace will affect genuine change. So here's how you know if a person has or has not received grace. If they have received grace, it will affect change in their lives. If there's no change, guess what they don't understand? They don't understand grace. They're still trying to do it on their own way. At the very best and at the very worst, they've rejected it. Or they were taught it in a deceived fashion. So uh, wh where I want you to see this is back in the Word. It says, He saved us. I'm back in verse 5, right in the middle. He saved us through the... This is... Wow, here we go. How did He do it? You ready? This is the what happens. Washing of rebirth and renewal. Washing of rebirth and renewal. On the hot days at our house, the kids get the hose out. This is great. Remember those days, you guys, just getting the hose out and spraying your sister in the face? You guys remember that? Love that. Right, so, so that's what's going on, right? And they come in, they come in full of grass 
and mud and so i mean in their hair you could probably find my children today and go like this and you're gonna still get some of it in them right they're just covered in it now what what do you do when that filth is all there mom and dad say get in the get in the tub right get in the shower get rinsed off and i know if they've done it right because when they come out what do they look like they look like they're clean they look brand new right this this is a change that has occurred. Now, I want to take you to another text that explains that this, this is one point that I need to press a little bit heavier because if we think grace is something that can be received and there is nothing effectual that happens from it, you have gotten grace wrong. So, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me. We, we, have, we have very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. We, we're familiar with this passage, right? But what context does that come in? Well, what's the story around which that very familiar passage is, is given? It starts out at the beginning of three with a man named Nicodemus. John chapter three, verse one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Let me say that again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What is it you contributed to your birth? Did you have any say in the matter? I mean, you, you, didn't, you didn't get a say in who your parents were. You didn't get a say in what part of the world you were born in. You didn't get a say what your hair color was or your skin color. All of this happened to you without your involvement. Zero contribution. This is what grace means. Grace is something that is given to you freely. And what we read here from Jesus is you must be born again. I want you to, if you can, hold your spot here. Hold your spot here and go back again to Titus chapter 3. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study acrobatics with our fingers today because we're going to turn almost back to this exact passage in just a moment. Um, what I want to press to you is the importance of seeing actual effectual change because verse 5 says that we've been saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Um, we need to look at another passage, and so you are really going to have to work hard at this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're looking at your clock, I'm aiming at about seven more minutes, so hang on. We're going we're gonna to get there together. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says to a church that is saturated with confusion and sin, he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Everybody with me here? He, this is a warning. You will not go to heaven. You will not inherit eternal life. And then he lists a bunch of behavior. Take a look with me. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I, I hope you found yourself in there somewhere. And if you haven't, I bet greed is one that everybody can ascribe to, if not any of the others, but I would trust that you'll be able to identify yourself somewhere on that list. It's verse 11 I want you to pay attention to. Here's good news, you ready? That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Three things in verse 11 happened to you that effected change. You were washed. You were sanctified, which means to be made holy, and you were justified. Turn now right back to Titus, because let me just read you the parallel concept as Paul tells it to his protege here. He says, we were saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Grace will effect change in your life of that whole list in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, that's what you guys were. That's not what you are. Think, think with me in your own life. Is there any component in your life that has changed? Is there anything that you could write down on a piece of paper? This is something that I used to think, I used to participate in, I used to enjoy as a pleasure, but now I feel like God's convicted me of it, so I see it the way he sees it, that this is not something that I love any longer. This is something that I abhor and I hate and I push aside. If you can't answer that in your life, I, I need to share it with you grace because grace will effect washing and rebirth. You will be born again, as Jesus says, and renewal, like a kid coming in, spraying all over full of mud and then getting it all washed off and smelling clean again. All right, number, so I had to hit that a little hard. Number four, grace is evidenced by the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you held your spot in John 3. I'm just going to turn back there again because Nicodemus says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, this concept of the spirit is one that's going to get continually uh, explained here by Jesus. My point in taking us here is to answer the question of how. How is grace enacted in your life? God gives you his spirit. That is how. It is the Holy Spirit in you that gives you life. Number five, why, why does this happen? Turn with me to Titus again. We're, we're working towards wrapping it up. Here we go. Verse 7, So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Here's, here's why you're given grace. Grace adopts you into the hope of eternal life. Grace adopts you into the hope of eternal life. Have you ever, have you ever run across somebody who doesn't believe in God? How, how is it they get through their day, do you suppose? Do you need hope? I need to hear an amen from somebody. Do you need hope? Yeah, I, I think the only way in which I can face the evil that I've seen in my life and my loved one's lives is knowing 
God's promised to fix it all. He's promised to make it all new, and there is not a single problem that I can have, whether by health or loss, that will not be solved by resurrection. That's awesome. For the gospel is, he died for my sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. I have hope. Grace gives me hope. Now, wait a minute. What if it's up to you? What if salvation was up to you? What if you had to pray a certain prayer a certain number of times in order to get saved? Now, do you have hope? I no longer have hope. I now have fear. I now have guilt. I now have the question of, can I, can I even accomplish this at all if it were up to me? And that's not grace. Grace adopts you into a family. I'm, us- I'm using that word adopt because Paul uses the word an heir. We might become heirs. That's something you inherit. And you and I will inherit eternal life. I got at least 90 more minutes to say on that, but we're going to move on. Number six. Lastly and finally, and this is the last one that I really want to emphasize to you, is the who. You, you might notice here, just like in grade school, I'm looking at the who, what, where, when, why, and how of grace. I'm trying to give you every characteristic that comes out of this passage to help us understand what grace is. This is an easy one. You guys can answer this, right? Grace is found in who? Oh, say it like you're convicted of it. Grace is found in Jesus. Jesus. It's found in no other name than Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the name above all names. There will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. For grace is a person. Grace is not a substance that you can buy on Amazon. Grace is not something that you can lose in the cracks of the sofa. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And if you are going to be reconciled to God, you need a relationship with this person. You need to know him. Not just go to church. Not just say, oh, he's my Lord. In fact, Matthew chapter 7 says, Jesus says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker, you perpetrator of iniquity and wickedness, for I never knew you. There was no relationship there. And so if you are really ever going to truly understand grace so it's effectual in your life, and so that you can have a hope, you will only be able to access that grace through the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so what do we do with this? Let's wrap this up. What's what's application? What do I do with it? Number one, you receive it. Ephesians taught us this. We are not saved by works. It is a gift of God that we are saved by his grace through faith in Jesus. So number one, this is what you need to do. You need to receive it. And to receive it has those two aspects. You can't fall on the ditch of saying that it's Ain't nothing I need to do. God loves everybody, man. Ain't nothing I have to respond to. That's not grace. You're not receiving it. To receive it means to confront those things that are ungodly in your life. And additionally, it's to receive it freely. No strings attached. Grace is given to you. It's yours. Step one is to receive it. It's what happens next. So step two is to believe it. This means to trust in God and not trust in your own abilities. This is a little bit harder, and believing it leads me into my third one, which is live it. You need to live by grace. 
By the way, if you do this the right way, you're going to have a lot of relationships go better for you. If you're the kind of a person who is brought up in a kind of a legalistic home, you're going to really fear relationships with people because you're constantly going to doubt whether or not they love you. But if instead you live by God's grace, you own it, you believe it, and you live by it, you're going to be willing to extend grace to others knowing that you, in humility, need it yourself. Receive it, believe it, live it, and the last one, share it. You need to be able to share grace. And this is where we get back full circle into our message of the gospel. When you share the message of good news, it is not that God loves you, don't worry about it. The message of God's good news begins with an honest understanding of the bad. Let's think about this now in our own lives. Where is God speaking to you today? What's the sin that's in your heart today? I know it's there. In fact, the people around you know it's there. The Bible says, he who says he's without sin deceives who? Yeah, so I know it's there. Where, Where in your life is there a departure from obedience to God? Maybe that's found in in a uh, relationship that you are not wanting to reconcile because of pride. Well, they can, I'm going to say sorry first. They know what they did. They're going to come to me first. Uh, maybe that's where it is. Maybe it's in a, a kind of a hidden wickedness in your life that's always been shielded from others. Maybe it's a habit in your life that's just been perpetuated over and over. Maybe it's something that is a component of pride in your life such that the words I'm saying to you right now, you're already doing this with them. Whatever that is in your life, the good news says, be free of that. Be free of it. And my invitation for you and for myself is that we would long to walk step in step, hand in hand with the man Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. Will you pray with me today?